Well, friends, last week we were introduced to the mysterious character Melchizedek, who foreshadows Jesus Christ. He points to Jesus Christ. And Jesus Christ, as I proclaimed, is the ultimate priest and king. He's a priest and king like no other. Well, today in the teaching, we're going to see that the old, imperfect priesthood, known as the Levitical priesthood, is going to be far superseded by the new superior priesthood, Jesus Christ. We're going to see them contrast, and we're going to be like, wow, Jesus, your priesthood is far greater. But let me pray again before we look at it. Heavenly Father, we thank you for Hebrews. We pray that you will open up our minds and hearts to receive your word, we pray. Amen. Well, last week the children came home with Happy Meals. Guess what you find in a Happy Meal? Guess what you find in a Happy Meal? The idea is toys. As they open up their meals, they receive toys, but they weren't any ordinary toy. They got Pokemon cards, which are the most iconic um, cards from my childhood. As they showed me their colourful, cool new cards that they got out of their McDonald's um, lunch, I felt the power of nostalgia. I recall the joy of being a child, playing with cards, and my school friends. I wanted to go back to the past for a moment. But now in today's teaching, the preacher to the Hebrews is speaking to people not just with a little bit of nostalgia. They are being tempted to abandon their faith and return to the old Levitical priesthood, Judaism, the old way. And so to help the Hebrews overcome their nostalgic affections, the preacher will make a stark contrast between the old way and the new way of Jesus Christ. He will showcase that the new eternal order of Jesus is much better because it contains a much greater hope. He wants them to remain steadfast in the way of Jesus Christ because Jesus is the greatest priest and king. With that said, let us turn to our first point. We're going to look at verses 11 to 14. The old priesthood is imperfect. Look at verse 11 in your Bibles with me. Verse 11 of chapter 7. If perfection could have been attained through the Levitical priesthood, but on the basis of it the law was given to the people, why was there still need for another priest to come? One in the order of Melchizedek, not in the order of Aaron. The point is this, ready? Perfection could not be achieved through the old priesthood. For a new priesthood had to be introduced, one in the order of Melchizedek. And so the old covenant, covenant laws, the sacrifices, the sins, the old forms of divine worship could not make people perfectly holy, perfectly right in God's sight. The old order could not give them perfection, the perfection that God desired. It could not bring us, God's people, that is real, liberating justification from sin. The old priesthood was weak and useless, verse 18. 
The law made nothing perfect, verse 19. He had a purpose, but it could not make us perfect. And so the author of Hebrews is very concerned about being made perfect. You can see that in this text. And so for the sake of clarity, I need to ask a question, a clarifying question. What does true perfection look like? What type of perfection does God desire? And to understand the perfection that Jesus does give us, I want you to consider three points, okay? With me. First, perfection looks at looks like righteousness. The promise of the Old Testament is that we will be found righteous through the priestly ministry of Jesus Christ, our great high priest. And so the foundation of the gospel is our perfection. And our perfection is only made possible through who? Jesus. When he offered his own perfect body as a sacrifice for our sin, redemption was won through his blood, Ephesians 1.7. Now everyone, quote, who believes in him is made right in God's sight, something the law of Moses could never do, unquote, Acts chapter 13, 39. And so the old Levitical priesthood could not make sinners righteous in God's sight. And so if we are relying on the works of the law or even our own moral code to save us, we have little hope. You, I guess you, we can be good people, right? But our goodness can never save us. We are all flawed. We are all flawed. We all fail. Hands up if you sinned this week. I've sinned. I was impatient with my child. We are all sinners. We are all unrighteous. Paul says no one is righteous. Not even one. Not even one. Apart from our Lord Jesus Christ, that is. Our righteousness is found by faith alone in the work of Christ alone who accomplished what we were called to do for us and he paid the penalty for our sin on that rugged cross so that we could be declared righteous and so first perfection looks like what does say righteousness it looks like righteousness second perfection looks like peace Romans 14, 17. The kingdom of God is a matter of righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. And so since we have been justified through faith, quote, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, unquote. Romans chapter 5, verse 1. But don't imagine God giving you a peace sign from heaven. The peace here refers to something much deeper much larger, much wider than we might imagine. This piece refers to God bringing both peace to our souls, yes, but God's plan to bring peace to the entire world. Indeed, the curse of sin has hindered our relationship with God, but it has extended to the entire created order, disturbing all goodness, Romans 8, 20 to 21. And so, if you're experiencing pain in the creation, if you see brokenness, that is ultimately the problem of 
sin. Sin has infected everything. But through the great high priest, God is now reconciling all things in heaven and on earth. He is bringing, quote, everything together under the authority of Christ. Everything in heaven and on earth, unquote, Ephesians 1.10. God is bringing reconciliation, peace to all things. That is God's plan of salvation. And that project will be finished when Christ returns from heaven to bring about his eternal reign on earth with us, the new creation, world without end. And so while the world seems grim now, like the peace that God's bringing to the world is backsliding, particularly in our country, I think we need to overcome our pessimism as Christians. The church is indeed growing here and afar. It was a joy to speak to a few of the Solomon Island boys this week, for example, and to them to tell me that the gospel is going through the Solomon Islands, bringing people to Christ. It is exciting. And I know you're going to miss home, guys. I know you're going to miss home. But it is exciting to see God bring peace to every island, every nation on our world, in our world. The peacemaking God is reconciling all things in creation by gathering people under one head, Jesus Christ. And I'm, I'm optimistic as well. I'm optimistic that the mission of Jesus will be successful. I think when he returns, he will be pleased with his gospel mission that brings peace. Amen. And so perfection looks like peace, bringing peace. And thirdly, perfection looks like joy. Joy. And so we're being made righteous, yes. We experience peace with God. And then what does that lead to? Doxology, praise, joy. We celebrate all that God gives us. We praise his name. And so bound in fear with little assurance of salvation, the old order could not give us this incredible joy that is found in Christ. While many Old Testament saints look forward to the day of Christ and rejoiced in it, I think we who have experienced the fulfillment of the promise in Jesus should glow. I think we should glow. I said that last week as well. We should glow. Christ Jesus has come. Hallelujah. We have a reason to praise. We should be the happiest people on earth. Even if some of us are reserved Anglicans, which is just a classic stereotype, where we are worshipping in an Anglican church, we should be, quote, filled with an inexpressible and glorious joy, unquote, as Peter says in 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 8. John Owen, who was an old Puritan pastor, also said this, quote, Such a joy in the Lord as carries believers with a holy triumph should every condition, even when all outward causes of joy do fail and cease. In other words, he's saying this, through the loss of an unborn child, we should find peace and joy. When we are experiencing anxiety from leaving our homeland and are feeling weary, we should be refreshed in the gospel of Jesus. When the cancer is spreading through every organ of our body, we should remain joyful in confidence. For we know that we are one day closer to being with the Lord. One day closer to being with the Lord. 
I once heard a story of a pastor speaking to one of his congregation members and she was aging quite rapidly in her 90s and she would come to church and as she would go through the doors, she would look to her pastor and say, one day closer, one day closer to being with our Lord Jesus. What perfection then was the old priesthood? Weak and useless to obtain? It was too inferior, for example, to offer us real righteousness, real peace, real joy. These gifts of grace can only be given through the gospel of our Lord Jesus, not through the Old Testament law and its ordinances. Perfection is only found through the better hope of Jesus Christ. So now that we know what perfection looks like, I've given you three words to think about, we see a huge distinction between the old priesthood of imperfection and the new order of Jesus. And it's in verse 16. I'm actually going to be quoting from the King James Bible because I think it's more clearer here. Jesus is a priest, quote, made not after the law of a carnal commandment, but after the power of an endless life. And, to, and so to show the perfection of the priesthood of Jesus, he calls the old system full of carnal commandments. The word carnal literally means fleshly or relating to physical human beings. The idea is that the old commandments lack the power to bring spiritual vitality to a person. And so the priestly regulations of worshipping with meats and drinks, the blood of bulls and goats, the observance of moons and festivals were perishing, were not long-lasting at all. Like the flesh of a person that rots away, and like our bones that become dust of the earth, the commandments were carnal and would not last forever. The old order was imperfect, for it could not bring eternal life. And so the preacher, as we read through the whole of the Hebrews, he's yearning for the listeners not to turn back to the old, inferior order. Due to their carnal hearts, they desired to return to the law of Moses due to social pressure, rather than the new and better way of Jesus that brings ultimate life. And so the good news of Jesus being the great high priest in the eternal order of Melchizedek was being distorted by their carnal passions. The gospel is at the brink of collapsing due to the unbelief of his listeners as they were turning back to Jerusalem, as they were turning back to the old way. And friends, since we are also sinners, we can learn from this because we too are people with carnal hearts who by nature gravitate towards things that don't last forever. For example, I use this illustration because where I'm a pastor of an Anglican church, some might be relevant to you, some might not be, but it really impacted the 8.30 service today. For example, if we care more about the pastor wearing robes then hearing about the gospel proclaimed, our mind might not be set on the spirit, 
but rather on the flesh. Christ does not care too much, too much for pomp and ceremony. The worship he desires must be first heartfelt and spiritual. He said, it even says this in the Old Testament, obedience is better than sacrifice. Obedience is, in other words, better than ritual. Jesus desires us to worship first and foremost in, quote, spirit and truth, John 4.24. God does not say, well, you failed to sing the lyrics perfectly today, or you didn't follow the rubrics correctly of the prayer book. Jesus desires us to worship as people who are set free, not burdened by strict observances that he never instituted in his word. Now, don't get me wrong. I'm not against robes, stained glass windows, rubrics in the prayer book, but I am hostile to first gospel confusion. Yeah? If these things do not help us to see the glorious Christ, which they were originally designed to point towards. For example, the white robe is meant to remind us of the saints in heaven and Jesus Christ who is robed in Revelation. If these things don't point us to the glorious Christ, guess what's happened? Gospel confusion. If these windows that are beautiful don't point us to Jesus, who is all beautiful, all glorious, gospel confusion. If we have no idea what these rituals point to, we likely have a form of gospel confusion. The very traditions that were designed to point us to righteousness, to peace, to joy, found in Christ, have become the focal points themselves. And it's a very sad thing. You can in fact go through your whole Christian journey only focusing on the exterior things and never focus on the thing that's truly important, Jesus. Let me give you an illustration. Before lockdown, last one, me and the family went to the zoo. We climbed up a tower and we wanted to look at the safari in Dubbo. Look at, you know, all the creatures in the safari, the giraffes, all those opposite animals. As we're looking through the binoculars, we were able to see them more clearly but after time, when we had our eyes close to the binoculars, what happened? Got foggy. That's, that's kind of what's happening in more kind of worship. We, these things that were brought in to make Jesus even more clearer have now fogged him out. And it can not only happen in traditional worship services, it can also happen in contemporary worship as well. For example, Oh, the music's not the same. Stop! It doesn't fulfil my desires. I like that band that kind of is a little more spiritual and flows like this, rather than the band that has more of a rock edge to it. Or even oh, the morning tea isn't as good anymore. Like they don't have mud cake. I can't go to church anymore. These type of things get in the road to us enjoying Jesus and the community that he wants us to enjoy. And so, friends, we can become blind to Jesus Christ and his perfect order. Since we're not seeing his spiritual truth, we then remain, for example, unholy, irritable, joyless, particularly when the theatre of worship does not match our tastes. 
Since carnal worship has little power, it becomes useless, verse 18. It does not bring real life and true freedom. We take the sacrament with, without godly sorrow, the Lord's Supper without godly sorrow or understanding, not realising that the communion is designed to point us to the written promises of God revealed in the Scripture. And so as you're taking the Lord's Supper, for example, you should be filled with joy that Jesus sacrificed himself for you to redeem you from sin. You should be overjoyed with the Lord. Thank you, Jesus, for this gift to remind me of your promises. All in all, we go through the motions of religion, failing to taste the perfection of Jesus Christ and his better way of hope. And so, brothers and sisters, unless we see the perfection of Christ beyond the carnal, our worship will unlikely be pleasing to God. Our worship must then be like Christ, which is primarily spiritual, instructive, liberating. If your worship isn't increasing your righteousness, your peace, your joy in the Lord, I encourage you to start asking some questions. What is going on there? So my application, first application, proper worship is focused on spiritual truths, not on carnal regulations. And this worship is marked by righteousness, peace, and joy. Okay, so we've explored the old Levitical priesthood, in, which is imperfect, for its worship is built on carnal regulations that do not make us perfect. I'd like to focus on one more thing with you guys. The superiority of the new priesthood, verses 15 to 19. We will now see that the old order of Jesus is not built on carnal regulations like the old system. It is instead built upon an unbreakable, eternal foundation. Verse 16. Jesus is, quote, one who has become a priest, not on the basis of a regulation as to his ancestry, but on the basis of the power of an indestructible life. And so how was Jesus made a priest? Answer, on the basis of the power of an indestructible life. I love that line, an indestructible life. In other words, through the resurrection of Christ from the dead in power, the human nature of Jesus was preserved and exalted at the right hand of God and since he defeated death, guess what? He can no longer what? Die. He can no longer die. He's no longer affected by the curse of sin. The human body of Jesus that reigns over all things is indestructible, endless, eternal, without end. Goes on forever, never ends. It has not changed from the day of resurrection until now. What is Jesus doing now? He's not dying, dying like the old carnal priests. Verse 17, you are a priest forever in the order of Melchizedek. Jesus is doing his priestly work in the throne room of heaven, bringing true care and cure to weary souls like ours. Because he lives forever, he is a priest forever. His endless life is the foundation for his endless priesthood. It is then no wonder the preacher now proclaims, verse 18, 
the former regulation is set aside because it was weak and useless. For the law made nothing perfect and a better hope is introduced. So what the law could not achieve, God achieved in Christ, our better hope. From before the dawn of time, God designed to bring we, his people, into a state of sheer perfection. While the law was a guardian over the Old Testament people pointing forward to this promise, it was weak and could not give life. But the old way is now set aside to make way for the introduction of a better priest, a better sacrifice. Hebrews 10, 14 says this, By one sacrifice, he made perfect forever those who are being made holy. And so the better hope in Jesus makes us perfect. And the gift of our perfection is this, verse 19, ready? Sorry, 719. We can now draw near to God. That is the chief outcome of Jesus um, making us right in God's sight. We can now draw near to God, the most holy God, the God who once said, you can't stand in my presence, you're just too simple. He now says, oh, you're perfect, you're holy, you're good in my sight, you're righteous. I can see my son's blood washing you clean. I see, in fact, someone who I can now call child, my dear child. And now we can cry out, Father, which the Old Testament people could not cry out. And so there's an intimacy of relationship. And because of Jesus being a high priest, we can now approach God, the creator over heaven and earth, who is perfectly holy because of Christ. We can draw close to him. We can be fully accepted by him through the veil of Christ's flesh once offered upon the cross and through his ongoing prayer for us. We have full access through prayer and praise into God's heavenly throne room. Wow. Glorious truth. But as usual, there's a but. God is not a universalist. What I mean by that is, it doesn't make holy every single human being. God is not a universalist. He does not give us, give everyone access to him. Apart from Christ, all humanity is far from God. When we are dead in our sins without faith in the Lord Jesus, Jeremiah chapter 17, verses 5 to 6 tells us that we are cursed. We depend upon our own flesh for strength. Our hearts turn away from the Lord. We are like bushes in a wasteland who do not see prosperity when it comes. In sin, John Owen says, quote, We are far from the dews and showers of grace and mercy, far from divine love and favour. In sin, we are fully alienated from God, enemies of him, under the power of Satan himself, the master deceiver, not able to access God. Yet while our state of sin is depressing, you should feel the weight of it, there is hope. While God is holy and hates our sin, 
hates the way we are apart from Christ. He is full of mercy and love that blows our minds away. He desires to bring us home to him. Thus he sent Jesus in the flesh of man to become our great high priest. On the Roman cross where his blood was spilled, the invitation to enter God's eternal presence was created. Now by faith in Lord Jesus and his finished work, God the Father opens up his hands wide and says, draw near to me. Come. All who are weary, heavy laden, I'll give you rest. He says, welcome into my presence. The blood of my son has washed you clean. He tells me every second that you are my child because he prays for you. And so through our justification, acceptance by God, we can now walk in faith, freedom, boldness, confidence, and full assurance. And so my closing point is this. If our worship draws us into the glory of heaven, be assured we have a better hope through the superior priesthood, Jesus Christ. And that is a reason to bring praise to our God and to bring comfort. Let me close in prayer. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much that knowing that the Levitical priesthood could not bring us such assurance, should not make would not make us perfect. You planned before the dawn of time to send your son into the world to become our superior priest who would make a way for us to approach you forever. What great joy, Lord. May we proclaim with the, with the writer of Hebrews, this is our better hope. We pray this in the name of Christ. Amen. Oh, uh -huh.